Well, um, I feel like I owe some, some of you an apology. Oh, they can't wait. They're like, oh, good. We'll get something on them. No, I think when I communicated about our weekend coming up that it was locked in our heads or the way I communicated was about primarily witnessing to people of gender confusion and what have you, and boy, was I wrong. Those of us who have been there for the last two days will testify it's been an awesome weekend, right? You guys that were there? Anybody say amen to that? And here's the issue. We're all broken. And it's all, it's about all of us, really. So for some of you, uh, Gary's not new. Uh, this is his third time with us. And uh, am I right? Yeah. I do know. See, this is why I didn't go into accounting. I can't even get up to three. But uh, this is his third time, and uh, looking forward to hearing him this morning as he breaks the word and insight about the life-changing grace that is ours. And um, I don't think it'll be his last time. I don't think so. After, uh... Yeah, you know, now that he mentions it... um... I think this will be somewhere rated between G and PG, so you don't have to worry if you've got younger uh, kids, you can explain it all later to them. Can I introduce your wife, though, or are you going to do that? Melissa, if you would stand. She's not sharing today, but she did yesterday, Melissa. And um, Gary and Melissa are uh, samples, if you will, of the trophies of grace that he has. And, uh, and the transformation that can happen. And for those of you who haven't met uh, Gary and Melissa before, uh, we go back because we connected and he was actually on staff at my church upstate. And uh, so there's a story here and there's a powerful work of grace. You know, when we let God work in our lives, that story works in other people's lives if people will let them. So Gary, I want you to come and minister. Oh, no, I don't want you to come yet. No, I'm in charge. No, only I preach in this pulpit. No. I wanted to mention that um, the ministry that they're doing is, in my mind, cutting edge for our culture. Standing against the, the confusion. Uh, confusion is a nice way to put what is going on in the world today. And uh, where up is down, down is up. Everything's reversed, uh, especially in relationship to gender and sexuality. And if the church doesn't speak into this, let's just pack up our bags, go early to heaven, because the place is going to be, you know, it is a mess, and there is a God who is undoing messes in people's lives. And so they're on the front end trying to train churches. The church is losing ground in America. Do you understand that? And so as I heard them today, I I shared with them yesterday over lunch I've seen growth in their ministry and their presentation. There's an authority in it. There's power in it. And uh, I don't want to set you up for failure. If you stink today, I'm never inviting you back. And um, I'm just commending them to you that they are doing this completely by faith. And I told Gary I'm at a place where I'm stepping up and putting them on my extra giving list. And I will commend them to you for the same reason. If something resonates with you today, pray about that and be open to jumping in, okay? Gary, God bless you as you come. Let's welcome you. Well, good morning. So good to see you all. Good to be with you again. Who has not um, heard from me or Melissa in the past? Okay, so there's a few, and then there's uh, quite a few that, are, that already have. 
I'll just mention also to kind of get a little bit of business out of the way, we have our ministry table in the back. And we have a couple of different clipboards back there, a couple of clipboards with the same um, opportunity for you to sign up if you'd like to follow what we're doing in ministry. I wouldn't, won't fill up your inbox. I don't send out nearly enough um, uh, information as I should. And um, am I on, by the way, back here? Okay, good. And so um, if you'd like to sign up and leave your email, one of the things I'm a little bit um, interested by, when I have horrible writing, but I do sometimes wonder when I'm entering people's um, emails into our system, like, do they actually mean for me to know what they actually wrote there, you know, in their email? So if you could just, in the email section especially, just uh, print really clearly if you'd like to get on our email list, we'd love to have you and you just kind of stay up to date with what we're doing. And I do a lot of traveling around the country and speaking. I'll be in, uh, I'll be in California. I'll be in um, Florida. I'll be back here in New York a couple of times this fall. Um, also planning a trip over to Nepal and working with um, uh, a national over there and ministry over there in January as well is the is the hope and the plan. So we do a lot of work in the area of restoring relational and sexual wholeness. And the mechanism by which we do that is by equipping the church. We don't want to be a parachurch ministry that kind of siphons off because the church isn't doing a great job in that particular area. Many other areas it is, but in that particular area. But it's so, it's so vital and so important, especially in the culture that we live in today, right? I mean, sexuality, <clears throat> identity, LGBT issues are some of the most vital hot topics of our time, correct? And the church, honestly, is behind the eight ball in how do we uh, really effectively um, address and minister to and love well in these areas and and believe in the more that God has for people, believe in transformation um, in our lives. So uh, we also have, um, if you have an interest in, in kind of hearing more about what we do and, and how we do that, we uh, have a DVD in the back as well. Uh, that has eight different teachings on it that you might be interested in. Um, it's on our website for 35. It's 25 here and no shipping, obviously. So if you have an interest in that, you can talk with me afterward. So let's just um, open in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the fact that you are a God who saves. And that salvation is not simply to... Um, it's not only about uh, the great by and by. It's not only about getting us out of hell and into heaven. That really is a byproduct, and we're all thankful for that. And, and we're all, but I, Lord, I think that sometimes we spend a whole lot of time um, being grateful for that and, and perhaps thinking about that and then missing this big picture that we've been saved now. That you've called us to be different people now. You, we are no longer just sinners. We are saints who still struggle with sin, but we have, our identity has changed when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence and you have saved us for purposes now. And so Lord, I pray that in our time this morning, I, I just ask Holy Spirit for you to move to, uh, to soothe and comfort those who need it, to stir up and, and, and even and prick those of us who need that. I've needed that in my life. Um, and so, Lord, whatever we need, would you come alongside as the, as the one who does come alongside of us? And would you uh, do that this morning? Would you stir us and, and move us, Lord, to, uh, to places of, um, of deep compassion and, and longing and hurt for, the, for a world that's hurting, but also for ourselves for those of us in the church who are wrestling with sexual and relational brokenness, God, and uh, we, we trust you, Lord, to do that. And thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I mean, it's been a great weekend. We had a lot of fun, Melissa and I, on Friday evening, and 
uh, Saturday. And maybe it sounds weird to you for those that might not have attended. Uh, how can you have fun around some of these topics? The truth is, if we can't laugh about some things and enjoy uh, one another relationally, all we're going to do is just kind of sit down and cry in the, in the, in the circumstances that we're in. And, uh, and, the, and the other, of course, the beauty and the glory of it is even in the worst circumstances, God is still meeting with us. God meets us in the prisons. God meets us in our gutter experiences of life. And God meets us in places where even as Nicodemus, the Pharisee, comes and searches out for Jesus by night so that, so that he's not exposed to his other Pharisees. And Jesus dialogues with him. So wherever we're at on the spectrum, Jesus wants to meet with us. God wants to meet with us. We talked a lot over the weekend about um, modeling and discipleship. And I shared with people, and for those of you who have heard a little bit of my own story, you've heard some of this before, but it bears repeating. Um, I grew up in a church not that far away, up in the Binghamton area, north of there actually a little bit, grew up in the country. And I was, I'm the youngest of five kids, wasn't planned for, um, and not really wanted by my dad in particular uh, for a long time after um, I was born. And so that theme of being in the way, being a bother, being unwanted was a theme that carried um, into much of my life, well into my adulthood. I actually uh, just had, uh, about a month ago or so, went and spent a week with a friend of Melissa's and mine in uh, a couple in the Ohio area who do a lot of work around this Living Waters program that we also run, but she's also a licensed counselor. And so um, I, was, I stayed with she and her husband, and, and I went there specifically to work for some intensive counseling for myself. It's the first time I've had someone of that kind of caliber, besides my wife, and she's happy to do it as well, you know, more kind of daily, you know. I'm kidding, actually. <laughs> she's great about that. But, um, but, but I went there to work out more of the issues that were coming up. You know what? I mean, I have a friend who I walked with and did some discipleship with, and you know what? The word he hated more than anything else is the word process. And, we, you know, we get sick of it. But you know what? One of the reasons it was so um, frustrating for him to be in the process is what he was missing is the fact that every time we get a layer of freedom, we're more free. Yes, there's more. Yes, we'll be working. The Lord is going to be moving and working on our hearts and, and in terms of sexual sin and relational brokenness, but bitterness, self-righteousness, envy, being offended at the slightest little thing, you know, those kinds of things. The Lord is still working that stuff out in our lives. And so I went to this uh, to spend some time to dig into some of those deep places of wounding uh, that were that were still that, that I some of those I dealt with before, and there were just new layers of, of um, the same issue, and then other things that the Lord brought up that were brand new. And I say that simply to say that again, we none of us have arrived, and the moment that we think we have, we're in big trouble. So. We talked a lot about modeling and discipleship in our time together over the weekend. And in the churches that I grew up in, in that kind of family environment, and then church wasn't a lot better in terms of uh, the churches I grew up in spoke a lot of truth. There was lots of great teaching uh, about, you know, out of the Bible. There was lots of end times um, uh, teaching. And, and frankly, you know, some of that's pretty interesting, but... Also, I think that we need to get our eyes on the here and now in the moment, not looking so... We don't know when the Lord's going to return. And what I think we need to be most concerned about is what, what, is, what are we doing today? How are we, it, how are we um, stirring one another up to love and good deeds? Not by being um, 
an irritant in a bad way, but how are we stirring one another up to love and good deeds today? How are we moving? How are we becoming more like Jesus and inviting people into that same process? And so, um, but the modeling that I experienced in church growing up was that it was a small church. We all knew each other. And, and I showed this over the weekend that oft, I would hear people during a, a prayer opportunity, a congregational prayer opportunity, many people would put their hands up and say, my husband is in the hospital with this thing or that thing. My mother is, um, <clears throat> was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, it could be any number of things. Um, there was an accident or what. Of course, those are important things to be praying about, and we should never hold back on that. But, you know, uh, finally we get to a point in the service where the pastor would ask, and who has an unspoken prayer request? Well... 20 hands would shoot up. And as I look back on that, that was some of the worst modeling that a child can experience growing up in the church. Because nobody is willing to trust anybody. We say that we love one another. We say that, um, that we're for each other. We come to church on Sundays. We go through the niceties of the hellos and I'm fine and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, I don't trust you to know the deep pains of my heart. How can you be together as a congregation of maybe 50 for 20 years or more and be in that same condition? And it wasn't just my church back then. This is common stuff. I hear all the time that, well, I can't do such and such because I have trust issues. And the truth is, we all have trust issues. We all have trust issues. And, and some of us have, have had more wounding and brokenness than others. Absolutely, that's true. But that does not let us off the hook. It doesn't mean that we need to stop pressing in to relationships. And so we oftentimes talk about discipleship in the church, but often my experience in the past has been discipleship is where you sit across the table two or three or four or five of you, sit across the table from a teacher who's telling you what to believe out of the Bible. And, and while we certainly do need to be informed and we need to, we need to have a right theology of Scripture, absolutely. Discipleship happens when, the, when it... Discipleship is more modeling. I think it was John Maxwell that said that more is caught than taught. And I'll tell you, I caught a lot growing up in the church and here, here's what my conclusion was of God over time. When I realized after I'd been exposed to pornography at five or six years old and some other um, uh, behavior by some older neighborhood boys and, um, and then and, and, and prayed and prayed for God to help me and eventually began to realize that I was developing um, attraction to boys and men in a way that was different, I began to realize something's off. And I, again, I was just a young, young kid. And by the time I hit puberty, boy, I was a wreck and a disaster. And, um, and here's what I concluded about God through the modeling of my church. And I said this weekend, Melissa's never heard me say this, and I've never thought of this before. I've oftentimes pointed back at that pornography experience and the sexual exposure at five or six years old that was so damaging. And it was damaging. And it definitely, it, it, it altered my trajectory. And I was already wrestling with a lot of shame. I was already wrestling with not fitting into my family, I, having a dad that until much later in life, we didn't have a good relationship. We developed a phenomenal relationship much later. Uh, but um, 
what I began to realize, and, and as we were teaching over the weekend, is I think actually the thing that damaged me the most in my relationship with God wasn't the pornography experience, wasn't the sexual abuse experience. It was watching the modeling of a church that refused to actually be known by one another. And then you couple that with other things that the enemy sets up, like a snake in the grass, waiting for an opportunity. He loves to prey on innocence. He loves to wreck our lives as children. He loves to wreck our lives as adults. And so the modeling of the church, um, what I grew up to believe uh, is that God is a slave master that demands we love him. And the truth is, for the longest time, I would never have admitted that. (gasps) I can't. God's loving God is love. I hear it all the time. God is love. And you know what? I finally got so sick. Okay, I know that that's supposed to be true, but I'm sure not experiencing that. And where were you when? And where are you now? What do I do? How do I deal with these feelings other than ask you to help me with them, but it doesn't seem like you're lifting a finger to help me. And so I grew to a place. I went to, I I bounced around from public school to Christian school to private school uh, uh, or homeschooling, I should say, and then on to college for a while. And I left college and I thought, God, I hate you and I hate your church. I am done. What a horrible place to be. Why weren't any of the environments impactful? Now, part of that is on me, for sure. And I can look back and I can see where I allowed rebellion and all kinds of things to set in. But where is the church that I grew up in that we, it's not all about me, I'm just using my example. Where's the church that we grew up in um, that is supposed to breathe life into us? Where we're supposed to be hearing stories? Like, we overcome the enemy, according to Revelation, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Where in the world is the word of our testimony? Who's going to stand up and care enough about giving glory to God and care enough about the young people rising up and the adults who all feel like we are uniquely screwed up because no one is struggling with the stuff we're struggling with because we're all pretending that we've got it together. I love the church. And you know what the truth is? God also brought me to a place of recognizing that I am a part of the church and I'm a part of the problem as well as a part of the solution. I allowed the modeling in my life for so long to develop such a bitterness and hatred, obviously, toward the church and quick judgment toward others. I felt like everybody else was judging me because they could pick up on where I was, what I'd been doing. I eventually wound up bartending at a gay club for a number of years. I just gave my, I totally felt like finally I found my people at 19 years old, left Bible college, left the church, went into homosexuality and into the gay community. And I finally found my people. I felt like I'd finally come home. I thought I must be adopted. I can't belong to these people, you know, in, in, my, in my family. Um, of course, that's not true. But, uh, <clears throat> but what, a, what a tragedy. And how many others are being raised up in the church? Um, how many adults are just kind of hanging on by a thread, doing their, their best, doing all that they know to do, but, there's, but the invitation of, of come and talk with us or um, that the church is a safe space... We hear those words, and yet we've experienced enough negativity of sharing hard things with people only to have it blabbed on the the local prayer chain or whatever nonsense that our stuff is not confidential. Or we've experienced that the person we've told has now pulled away. We feel it. We sense it. It's like it's as if when they see us coming, they cross over on the other side of the street and walk down that sidewalk to avoid us. Those are two common experiences that many of us have, have had in the church. 
Shame on us as the church. We need to repent of that. I don't know. Part of me wants... I don't, I don't like parading my, my children for the sake of just parading my children. But for Melissa, we have two boys. I don't know if you noticed when, when in worship that they were here with us, of course, before being dismissed. They're 8 and 10 years old. And, and um, there may very well be people in this congregation and many congregations that I talk to and, I, and, on one sense, and in one sense, I get it. I mean, I was even in a similar place at one time about different issues. But you may feel like, why in the world is this dude up talking in front of the church? Why is he talking about this stuff? But the truth is, if I did not, the Lord brought me to a place in a church finally in my early 30s, which is the church that Pastor John was pastoring up in upstate New York. And I'd been to a number of good churches, and they were good churches. But they weren't handling the issue of sexual and relational brokenness well. They weren't handling anything when it came to coming out of homosexuality. And what on earth do you do with that person? Do we even want to do anything with that person? We'd rather see them go down the street someplace else, honestly. And, um, And for people that might feel that way or wonder, why are we talking about this? We're talking about this in part because of my boys. We're talking about this in part because the kids that are in this church. But you know what? It goes, and we're talking about this for future generations. We're talking about this, but not only for future generations. We're talking about this because of you. Every man and every woman, every child listening to my voice, you are a, both a relational and sexual being. And yet we have left the discipleship, sexual and relational discipleship, we have entirely left that up to the world. The church has had this huge vacuum that Satan has been delighted to exploit. And he's done it. And our world's done it. And so it's so important that we as a church grapple with what does... And I think the, the, the beginning of the grappling with how do we model healthy relationships? How do we model healthy sexuality? How do we model what it means... To, to be <clears throat> aware of and living out the good of what it means to be a man made in God's image and a woman made in God's image because we were made differently in the image of God, of equal value. We weren't just human beings, according to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, made in God's image. He made us male and female in his image. And what does it look like to bear that out well? What does it look like to bless the other rather than being at war with them? Rather than all the snide, sarcastic stuff that men feel and think and express toward women, all the snide, sarcastic stuff that women feel and think toward men because we're so different than one another, part of our differences, even though it's fallen, part of our differences, a big part, is that we were made in God's image in different ways and meant to live it out differently, but let, meant to live it out in a complementary way. Not, not complement, but complementary that, that Melissa often says... When she's teaching that our um, that her strengths make up for my weaknesses and my my strengths make up for her weaknesses, that we come together in marriage and there's a way in, that there's strength there. But you know what? Even as single individuals, there's a way that that um, we should be blessing one another as men in open ways and and, uh, and and expressing that value and that appreciation, and that women are doing the same thing. And there's also something that should be happening in terms of men blessing their sisters and si- sisters blessing their brothers. And yet so often, 
<clears throat> sexual brokenness, a pornified culture is getting completely in the way. Men don't know how to not objectify women. Some women don't know how not to objectify men. What we're seeing in ministry is that there's three primary types of churches. There's probably lots of different categories, but three big ones. I'd say churches similar to what I grew up in. And again, they didn't get everything all wrong. They, They spoke a lot of great truth. But the modeling of that truth and the way that they lived it out was oftentimes completely unloving and and not compassionate at all. But the the three types we see would be more of a legalistic or or a pharisaic church. And you know what? Every legalistic and pharisaic church would say they're not one. I remember sitting in, in this very same church I'm talking about growing up, years later when I went back to visit my parents, and I went to that church, and I really liked the pastor a lot, and and his wife, and, and many people in the church, and, and by that time, it's down to like 20 or 25 people. And most, I mean, the median age was like 75 or something at that point. But the, but the pastor actually made the statement. I thought it was, I, I couldn't believe it. On a Sunday morning, he was talking about, I don't know what passage he was talking about, but he literally said verbatim, I thank God that we're not a legalistic church. And I'm like, there's a little lack of a self-perception there, you know? But we miss it. I tend toward legalism. In many ways. And I miss it. And I need my brothers in my life. I need my wife at times. I need others to, to, to remind me and tell me. Or to, 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 in a loving way, reflect back to me what they're seeing for me. We can all, I think, tend toward legalism. <clears throat> it's easier to land on one side or the other. And then, and then we have more of the liberal or sort of country club church. That we just show up. It's kind of a feel-good experience. The worship, uh, the, you know, the... the um, entertainment is amazing. And many people may be able to enter into worship uh, in, in that. And I'm, and I'm not saying the churches that it, we belong to some, uh, we're connected with some churches that have, <clears throat> uh, you know, incredible uh, worship experiences and opportunities and things like that. I'm not saying all of that's wrong. But when that becomes the primary thing, when people show up and we sort of, um, uh, we don't have our little um, uh, time machine and card that we just punch and say, okay, we put our time in here at church. But that's oftentimes how we function, right? We show up, we say, this is community. This is not community. You're all sitting in rows facing this direction. This ain't community, right? I mean, you're talking in the back and that's good. But 10 minutes of that for someone who is dying on the inside. And Melissa used, uh, quoted this verse a number of times over the weekend, but Psalm 68, six says, God takes the lonely and puts them in family. But the truth is, you have to ask the question, do we have any families around here that actually want the lonely in their family? We all want to say, oh, yes, but how is that practically working out? Are we grabbing people after lunch and or after church and going to lunch with them? Are we, uh, is there any open opportunity for people who are single or maybe showing up for the first time or really hurting to meet beyond just this kind of time uh, and, and after church and then multi, you know, times during the week and things like that? Does anybody have kind of an open, uh, an open door in their home on any a day or evening of the week where, where you're just letting people know they can come and, yep, it's going to be crazy, yep, it's going to be a mess, but we just want to do life. We're more concerned about people than projects. We're more concerned about... Um, people than, than our priority list in our home. A lot of that has to change in order for us to become the third church, which is, um, I think, is where um, 
the Lord wants to really break out in our culture, and that is the that is a relevant church. It's a church that um, that is anchored in both. So there's a one of our taglines for our ministry is um, leading with love, anchored in truth. The way the reason we named our ministry Love and Truth Network is because we really feel like in order to deal with these issues well, and in order for the church to deal with sexual um, uh, wholeness, restoring sexual wholeness, restoring relational wholeness well, the reason where we need to be is living in the tension. There's a tension. I don't even like the word balance. Like, oh, I'll find my balance and, you know, give me the list and the rules that I need to follow. We all, I think many of us would prefer, give me the list and the rules and I'll check those off and I'll make, but that's not the way the Holy Spirit works, annoyingly, you know? <laughs> It, it, it's, it, is more, um, it is more of a tension of these two things, and we can't let go of either one. Churches, uh, historically, many churches, again, thumped on truth and didn't say much about anything about compassion or love. And, and we would use, I grew up hearing the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. And the truth is, as I look back on that, what I want to say is, you know what, can we just be honest? You hate the sinner too. Yeah. Can we... I really have grown to hate that phrase. And I know some people use it authentically, like they really do love the sinner and they recognize I'm one of them. Like I, this is my propensity too. But so often that phrase has been used and it really honestly, no, you hate the person too. And so can we start and can we repent of that? Can we recognize that like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you load all of these heavy things on top of these people and yet you block them from the kingdom. And you yourself will not lift one finger to help them. And many of us, I don't believe, have a heart to do that. But in practical, everyday ways that become weeks and months and years of personal experience, that's kind of what we're doing or what we're not doing. We don't just experience sins of, of commission, sins that we know, Sins that we do, but we also experience sins of omission, things that we leave undone. We're guilty of those. I have a, um, Melissa and I have a dear friend, and uh, John and Sherry know her well as, uh, too. Her testimony is on our website. Her name is Sherry. And we're staying with them right now up in upstate New York. And Sherry, uh, so back in 2004, I went to a Living Waters training. as a week-long intensive training I mean, the Lord, I was on pastoral staff. I was working for Pastor John, working on that team. And I felt like I'd gotten to a spiritual plateau. I'd come out of all the sexual brokenness. And the Lord had been so faithful and and, um, and, and really breaking off a lot of that stuff. And and by the way, let me just say, my flesh, your flesh will never be um, uh, redeemed. It's a spiritual man or woman that is redeemed. I mean, our flesh is still as corrupt. My flesh is as corrupt as it's ever been. And there are things that my flesh still wants that are, um, that are apt. I mean, of course, totally sinful. It isn't like in my, in my new man, I hate pornography. I hate what it does. I hate the, the defiling way that, um, that it impacts our lives. I hate the way that it uh, objectifies women and men and degrades the image of God in us. I hate all those things, but my flesh is still attracted to it. And you know, but it's the spiritual man that gets to rise up and say, no. There's freedom in saying no. And, and I am not going to bow any longer to this, this addictive living out of this place and live in a hypocritical way. 
I don't know why I just said that, but anyway, it popped in my head. So but getting back to Sherry. So Sherry, um, oh, so I went to uh, Living Waters training in 2004, and the Lord just did these just profound, I mean, he ambushed me and rocked my world. I, I left that training, literally, I'm not joking, I could not eat for a week. I mean, it was, um, the, and it was a good kind of pain, and, and the Lord was bringing healing to areas of wounding I wasn't even aware of. And I, I, and that's where I also met Melissa for the first time was at that training. And uh, the next training in 2005, um, a bunch of us from Union Center, including Pastor John and some other pastors, went to this next week-long training. And I, I wanted to go again. I wanted to, for them to go because I felt like what is being taught here is a piece that's missing <clears throat> from our healing ministry at Union Center. And so uh, we went out there, and, and sure enough, the pastors felt like, yes, we, we do need to add this piece to our overall counseling ministry and other and, and, uh, uh, yeah, ministries. And, and so um, when we came back, one of the pastors was sharing in a teaching about relational and sexual wholeness. And he said, you know, this includes 99.9% of us. It might have even been Pastor John that said, I can't remember. But this includes about 99.9% of us, the pastor said. And, and Sherry, by her testimony, was sitting there in the audience. She and her husband met at Bible college. She doesn't come out. She was a virgin when they got married. She doesn't come out of all kinds of sexual brokenness or any of that kind of stuff. They had eight kids. I think they homeschooled most of their kids for at least a good period of time. Uh, they, they were small group, not just leaders, but coaches. I mean, they'd been involved for years. They had been involved in ministry and all that. And Sherry sat in the audience and she heard 99.9% of us. And she thought, huh, I must be a part of the 0.1%. She wasn't thinking anything nasty, but she's thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. And I think there are so many of us that can feel that way. Like, why would I come to a weekend thing about this stuff? I don't have these problems in my life. And the truth is, you might have more of a problem than you realize. But secondly, maybe you don't, but you live in a culture that does. You have kids that are being raised up and grandkids that are being raised up in a culture that is sex saturated in all the wrong ways. And so Sherry's testimony is that she decided, regardless, and this is what I love about her in so many ways, regardless, she came to this first meeting that we did. Um, it was a, we did a mini version of Living Waters called Cross Current. She showed up, and in her, in her testimony, she said from the very first night, and the first chapter is about God's unfailing love. And she sat in that first session, not even really knowing why she was there, but she was going to do it because other people were, and the Lord laid her bare. And every week, the Lord poured in. She wound up being, becoming a Living Waters leader for us, and it was phenomenal. And you know why? I love Sherry's story so much, because my story of all of my crazy sexual experiences and brokenness and depression and uh, alcohol and all the craziness, right, that I just lived in for so long that was so destructive. And then you have sweet little Sherry, the quintessential church lady. Every church has them. God bless you. God bless you, but here, more, more than anything, what I love, and you know what, Sherry, it said in that testimony, she looked back and she recognized that as she looked at her life prior to going through Cross Current and Living Waters and getting involved in that, she knew me of me at that time uh, for, for a while, but what she would say looking back in retrospect is she always saw herself as being a little bit above the cross. Now, you all may think, oh, how could anyone, you know what? She didn't know it at the time. She had no idea she felt that way. And in seeing herself as a little bit above the cross, what that meant is when she saw me and she was so thankful for what God was doing in my life and all that, she saw herself a little bit above me too. 
we know God had some pegs to knock out. And honestly, sometimes it's harder for the person that is here because they have, they, what Living Waters refers to as, um, Living Waters will refer to this, uh, the, the church lady, the church dude, whatever, will refer to as the good fault self. It, it is a sacrifice for us to say, I'm going to lay my head on the block and I'm going to put to death the good fault self. Nobody really knows what's actually back here in my life, either in my history or it's in very much in my present, but it's hidden. It's in the closet. Nobody knows anything about that, but they know this and they relate to me out of this good image and, and, and I have a lot of accolades because of this. I have a lot of respect because of this. And you know what? It is hard to put that thing to death. But real repentance, real life change, and the ability to affect life change in other people requires that this thing goes to the cross. Let me just read a couple of passages to you. We've all heard, obviously, of Sodom and Gomorrah, Correct? And especially for those of us that have been in church for a long time. When I say the word abomination, what do you think of? Yeah, think of Sodom and Gomorrah, think of homosexuality. Let me just read what, I think it's so interesting. And, and, and clearly, Sodom had become sexually crazed. I mean, it, it was, and, and homosexuality was a part of it and all of that. But it's interesting that in Ezekiel 16, when God is rebuking Jerusalem, rebuking Jerusalem, and saying that Sodom is better than you, he says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. It's so interesting. And of course the word abomination captures, but it captures the whole thing. Like what was going on with, with Sodom is that they just didn't care anymore. All they cared about were themselves. And honestly, I think there's a way in which this describes Western culture pretty well. Oftentimes Israel did not completely cast God the true God aside to worship idols, it was often, at times that happened, but often it was this combination of we're going to follow, we're going to supposedly go through the motions and follow Jehovah, but we're also going to bow down to Molech and, and um, Ashtoreth and the other, um, other gods from other nations. And God is like, uh-uh, it is me only. You can't combine me with all kinds of other things. And I think in the Western, in the church, <clears throat> we've oftentimes done that. We not only... Follow, try to follow Jesus, but we're also very much with one foot in the world or one and a half feet in the world. I think it's interesting too, especially coming out of, um, for those of us that have come out of church uh, experiences for many, many years, uh, Proverbs 6, um, starting in verse 16, really, I think, corrects the record around the idea of abomination. <clears throat> there are six things which the Lord hates writes um, Solomon. There are six things the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, doesn't say that. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. How many of, I mean, don't raise your hands, but how many of us in the church 
really wrestle with letting pride rule us. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be known. I'm not going to take the risks. um, A heart that devises wicked plans. There was a time when I was a a young person, a teenager, and I remember tongues was this big battle going on in uh, in our church. Some people believed in it, some people didn't. And it wasn't even about that, <clears throat> really, for what I'm about to tell you. But that was kind of a, a big thing. But uh, there was a time, I remember getting on the phone and taught, like I was on the no tongues side of things and uh, back in the day. And um, I'm still not a tongue speaker, but anyway, let's not get into that. But, the, uh, but I was on the phone and I was talking with some people. And here's what I was doing. I was talking with people and kind of finding out where they were at on the topic. And I was um, actually gossiping to other people. And I was doing it. There was nothing righteous about anything I was doing. I was being a busybody and I was just gossiping. You know what? Gossip is one of the worst and most common areas of sin in the church. And it's one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons that nobody wants to bear their stuff. It's one of the reasons that no one wants to get in a group of three guys or three women. We were saying over the weekend, every man needs a band of brothers. Every woman needs a band of sisters in the body of Christ to live the normal Christian life. If you don't have it, you aren't doing it. And most of us don't. I go to churches all the time and no one's doing it. I mean, you might do your men's group, but no one is talking about pornography. No one's talking about the common issues that men struggle with in your, in women's groups. You know, they're increasingly, uh, statistics are showing that 20, even 30% of Christian women are dealing with pornography addiction. Did you know that? And for a woman, especially that's supposed to be a dude's issue. And so there's even more shame for a woman to be able to say, I really struggle with this. Where in the world does she go to talk about those issues? She should be able to have a safe place in the context of her family at the church to do that. And you know what gets in the way of that more often than anything? Our pride, our fear, our shame. But it's also because we've experienced people telling our stuff when they have no business doing it. A heart that devises wicked plans. I was in my heart devising wicked plans as a stupid and ignorant 16-year-old. And I was spreading, and here's the last one. Feet the red rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies. And this one happens all the time in church. I've been guilty of it. I wonder if some of you have too. And one who spreads strife amongst brothers. That is an abomination. It's what the word of God says. And I'm being so strong, obviously, because I'm passionate about this. But I'm being strong about this because we have a broken world and we have a broken church that if the world has any hope, it's going to come from the church getting real, getting healed, getting transparent and sharing truth out of their brokenness. Not because they're not broken. There's no hope in that. Come on in here. We're all good. You stink. And we're pretty miserable, too. So come and join us on the journey. You know that we've got to start getting real and transparent in order to rescue the next generation. If you don't care enough about yourself, care enough about your grandchildren, your children, the next generation. Let that be fuel under your feet to say, I am no longer going to sit in this mediocrity. I am no longer going to be lukewarm. I am going to seek out uh, whoever I need to, to be able to share my pains, my addictions, I'll tell you, statistically speaking, there's plenty of addiction going on in this church. 
And everybody wants to be, everybody wants to be the exception. Every church wants to be the exception. We can't all be the exception or there's no point to the statistics, right? Um, So let me just read one other quick, uh, there's a couple things I want to read quickly. So this is out of, um, I think this is so important for today's um, times. It's Titus 2, starting in verse 11. Titus 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. We love that. The grace of God. It's so nice. It's so wonderful. God just winks at our sin. Grace, grace, grace. I'm so sick of hearing the word grace in the wrong context. Hyper grace is if, well, I do, we just preach grace. Really? No, you're only speaking half. You're only looking at half the coin. You need to flip the other half over because this is what Paul goes on to say to Titus. For the grace of God has appeared. Let me take, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensible, sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's grace. So grace isn't just this niceness. It is. I mean, thank God for grace. Thank God that he, that he draws us um, to himself. Thank God that he forgives us. Um, but grace instructs us. And so what is the antidote? I mean, what, is, what do we need? And we talked, I harped about, a lot about this over the, over the weekend. Community and transparency. Real community Real transparency. It needs to hurt. When I fail, and I'll, I'll tell you uh, uh, right now, you may all say, well, this will be my last time coming back. Um, but uh, there were a couple years ago that I, uh, I've, I've, not, um, I've not struggled with addiction to pornography in years and years. And I had freedom, not even looking at it for a long time. And you know what? I, in a, in a weak moment, I was um, someone's accountability and I saw a link and I'd seen it quite a bit. I was getting kind of sick of it, honestly, because uh, they kept failing over and over again. Uh, but I should have talked to my wife about that. I should have talked to some other Christian leaders about that and just said, hey, just so you know, there's a little bit of a tweak here, a little bit of a pull. I didn't do it. And so I just thought, well, how many of us think, oh, I can handle that? No, you can't. No, nor can I. And so I, um, I wound up in a, in a weak moment of, a stupid moment, of clicking on that and indulging for a period of time. You know what? It was so defiling. It was so, dis- it w- I used to smoke cigarettes uh, many years ago and I would quit for a period of time and then I pick, and that first cigarette was almost, it was, it felt so defiling to my, like my whole body was saying, don't do this. And yet I would, I would turn back to it anyway. But my point in this is that um, we all still struggle. And we have to stop pretending. And it doesn't feel good to me to get up here and tell you, yep, pornography still has a pole and I need, to, uh, I need to have loving accountability. I need to have a band of brothers around me to keep me safe in that. I need to talk to my wife about those things. That, that stinks, right? I hate doing that. But I need to do that. How many of us are doing that? How many of us are, are not just failing you know, every six months or every year or two years or whatever, but how many of us are really stuck in patterns and we're not, we have not been willing to do anything about this yet. This is really God's wake up call. 
and God's his wake-up call and his invitation. He wants to love you better than what you're experiencing. Pornography does not love you well. Sexual sin does not love you well. Sin does not love you well. What we need is authentic. We've been, we've been eating at a banquet table that is full of garbage and moldy food and very little of it. When God has spread this amazing banquet with every delectable, delicious thing we can possibly imagine, and yet we won't even eat from that because we're fearful, we're shameful, we're prideful. And so <clears throat> Paul says in First, sorry, First Thessalonians 4, 7, the Thessalonians were known for loving one another well. Now, as to the love of the brethren, Paul writes, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. So he's like, you know, let the gas off of that. You've been doing so well, no big deal. No. He commends them and says they are amazing at it. And then he goes on and says, but we urge you to excel still more. Jesus says in John 13, 35, by all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another, do you think that you're experiencing in this church, that kind of love? Do people see you and recognize that the love you have for others as they, as they watch the way that you live your life? Do they see, do they, as they watch the way you invite people into your home and as they, it's such a beautiful thing to have this band of brothers. I'm going to wrap up with this, this band of brothers or this band of sisters that we invest in. Oftentimes we're asked, well, how can I minister to this really broken person or uh, whether it's out of the LGBT community? And of course we're saying you minister to them the way, same way you do anybody else. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. And so, but how do you, really the question is how do I minister to my neighbor, neighbors, coworkers, friends and family or whatever who don't know Jesus? And, and I believe one of the most effective ways to do that is to recognize I'm broken. When you fly anywhere, part of the uh, safety instructions is when the, when the mask falls down, put it on your face first and then help your child. So often we're trying to help everybody else. We don't even have the gas to make it on our own, but we're, we're, we're keeping the good image up. So we, in this band of brothers, band of sisters, we need to first be willing to bear. I believe that this band of brothers needs to know everything about me. I need to know everything about them. And we need to do life together. And, we, and it's an amazing thing to be loved in our most shameful places. And some of us have never experienced that. And so with our band of brothers and band of, band of sisters, we have some time together. We're digging in. We're loving each other well. We're getting familiar with sharing our story, all the ugly stuff as well. I'm, you can share a lot in five minutes. And so um, when, I, when we get together on a regular basis and somebody, and here's the beautiful thing, what do you do and how do you minister to someone? When they're hurting, you invite them into your group. When you're hurting, you invite them into your home or you're inviting some other guys over, some other women over, and you routinely, you don't just do the head talk thing, you actually are praying for each other. You lay hands on each other, not because there's some magical, mystical thing, but because you're letting someone know, no matter what you've shared with me, no matter how dirty you feel, I am glad to stand in Jesus' feet to touch the leper. And you know what? And unlike Jesus, I'm a leper too. I've been a leper. And so Jesus models that for us. And when we lay hands on somebody in that way and we pray for them, so often there'll be an emotional break. And, it, and, and this guy, this woman has needed to have people just stand with them. So often we need to shut our mouths as Christians and stop saying the stupid platitudes or the or the inappropriate the, the the true verses that are inappropriately applied in the moment like some child dies and all things work together for good 
to those. I mean, what? Why would instead we can offer the gift of our presence? But so many, we're not, we're not offering the gift of our presence. So to love well, loving well actually feeds us. And when we're feeding from the banquet table of God, when, for, when James 3.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed, the prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. That isn't a suggestion. I say James 5.16, sorry, um, says that. That we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other. It's only in that place that we are actually able to love each other well and to be known and to receive the kind of love we need and to eat from the banquet table that God has provided for us. As long as we are going to be these rocks and islands who will not be known. And, and you know what? For good reason. I get it. But that doesn't let you off the hook. James doesn't say, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other um, unless you have trust issues, right? That's not in there. I looked. So are you willing... Are you willing to actually allow the Lord to go deeper in your life? Are you willing to allow the Lord? Are you willing to be willing? Maybe not willing in, to actually to say, Jesus, I know I need that band of brothers. I know I need that band of sisters. I know I need to grow. Jesus, I have been a gossip and it is wicked. It is an abomination to you. And I've been a part of the problem for why people won't even share their stuff in a little group. And I want to repent of that. So I just want to encourage, I just want to invite you, whatever the issue is, it's not about whether it's gossip, whether it's about just, um, and, and, and uh, uh, what, whether it's about sexual sin or it's just about relational brokenness or it's areas of your life that have not yet been healed. And you recognize that, or you're just where I was at. I wasn't living out all kinds of crazy stuff when I was on staff at the church, but I knew that I was hitting a spiritual plateau and I needed something more. And so I just want to invite you to, to come up um, if you're, if you're willing to do that, come on up and, uh, I'm going to start praying, but I want to invite you to come forward to get up out of your seat, the longest mile, get up out of your seat and come forward as I'm praying. And uh, you don't, if you want to pray with me, that's fine. If you want to pray, pray with Melissa, she's here. That's fine. Or pastor John or Sherry or any of that. But I, I just want to encourage you to come forward to simply say, Lord, I am taking, I am making a public acknowledgement that I am not okay with staying in the same place that I'm in. And you know what? It doesn't matter. You may say, oh gosh, you brought up sexual stuff or pornography and everyone's going to think, you know what? Who, who cares? Because it's the whole gamut. It's not just about sexual sin. It's, all, it's just about, Lord, I want to come before you because I know I need more and I need to be more. And I want to be a part of that. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm just going to pray, and also Pastor John's going to come up and just wrap up. But I just want to pray and, uh, and invite you to come forward, even as I start praying, even right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these dear sisters and brothers. God, I thank you for these men and women who love you. I thank you for these men and women, Lord, who, who have a hunger for more. Thank you, Lord. And, 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 and Lord, maybe they've not even been able to identify what that hunger is. Or as soon as there's a hunger, we reach for the addictive thing or we reach for the quick fix. And, and we hate it on the one hand, and yet it's met our, it seems to meet our need in the, in the moment. And yet, Lord, we now, we're bound to it. It may be a food addiction. It may be any number of things. And so, Lord, whatever the issue is, we're coming before you as your sons and daughters saying, help. We're coming before you as your sons and daughters saying, we don't want to stay in the same place that we're in. We want harmony 
to be a lighthouse, a lighthouse that draws broken people. We want Harmony to become a teaching hospital where everyone here who's coming forward, others that may be hesitant, but Lord, we want, we want to be equipped as doctors and nurses. We want to be equipped as staff to have eyes for others. And Lord, in your equipping of us, we want to first be purged of our own secret sexual sins, our own secret sins, of what non-sexual, whatever they are. God, we're inviting you to come in. And we're inviting you, Lord, to help us not, not to not have fear. We're afraid. We're afraid. Everyone's afraid. But God, what we're asking for and what we're reaching out for is the courage that you give us in the face of fear. That fear would not have dominion over us but that we would bow our knee to you and you alone. We would stop bowing our knee to fear. We would stop bowing our knee to pride. We'd stop bowing our knee to self-righteousness. We'd stop bowing our knee to this good false self that it feels like it's going to kill us if people actually knew who we were, if they knew the whole of us. And yet, Lord, it breaks my heart because I know that people have never been, never experienced the depth of love that comes from being fully known. The good, the bad, the ugly that you want to give to them as long as they are going to bow to this idol of the good false self. So, Jesus, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you let the ground that's been tilled up by Pastor John and others here, Lord, would you let this seed of this weekend go into good soil? And would you help us as those who are, are workers and co-laborers, Lord, to weed those fields, to not, when, when offenses come up and we feel it and they're familiar and we want to be mad and we want to, we want to, we feel justified in what we're thinking and feeling. And yet that's an opportunity the enemy is giving us to divide from our brothers or sisters and to keep on living out that familiar thing. Lord, would you help us to grow up into maturity by speaking the truth in love, This is so much bigger than anything we can ever possibly do, Lord. And yet you are more than able. King Jesus, we want to thank you for working in the hearts of your children. We're asking God that at Harmony, Pinocchio would become a real boy. Yeah. Yeah. Because we haven't been. I'm asking for breakthrough. I'm asking God that each saint that's forward here, either praying for their brethren or asking for it, asking for your help, God, that you would meet them where they are and that you would help us to meet one another where we are. I want to thank you for my brother and sister being with us. I want to thank you for the simple truth that the word tells us the parts that we've chosen to overlook so that we can play church break through in the name of jesus break through in our personal lives break through in our relational lives help us get real and lord you can do with a few yes what we can't do with many Lord, you, you've been speaking to me in the weeks coming up to this weekend. That picture from the, uh, the film, The Patriot, aim small, shoot small, aim small, shoot small. Jesus, you worked with 12. One of them fell away and you changed the yeah. world. Yeah. I think we may have enough people here to start seeing change. Yes, yes, absolutely. Help us. 
We commit our way to you. Pour grace on our people. If anyone needs to stay and pray with an elder deacon, with Gary, myself, we're free to do that. The rest of us, God bless you. Have a good day. Quietly filter out, and we'll thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, God, and give you glory. Amen.